hello and welcome to the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. This is episode number 78. My name is Ismael Swan. Thank you so much for being here. Garoppolo once again shows us that he is not <clears throat> he is not an elite quarterback. He is not bad. He's not awful, but he is not an elite quarterback. The Niners need to move on. Analytic in sports, the Chargers, the Ravens, they've gone for it more on fourth down than any other team. They've gone for two-point conversions. We'll touch on that. Am I against it? Am I for analytics and sports? Colts versus Cardinals. I'll give my prediction for that game. That's my marquee matchup on Christmas Day. And Nadal is back. Nadal it comes back from his injury and loses to Andy Murray in straight sets. He's now recovering from COVID. I'll give my outlook, my prediction on Nadal coming back. All of that on this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started Garoppolo once again in prime time with the nation watching shows us that he is not a franchise quarterback he is not by no means the worst quarterback in the league and we've all seen the stats the winning stats for the Niners they do win a lot more games when Garoppolo is there than when he's not there so you know give him credit for that give him credit for at least being a serviceable quarterback but this notion that he's a game manager that he takes care of the football, that he's a quarterback that doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but that won't make the big wow plays. You know, he's not a elite level quarterback, but he's serviceable. He won't make the mistakes. He'll just keep you even kill, kind of like an Alex Smith. He's not that either. He has his moments where he's even kill, and you're like, okay, you know what? Like, we could win with him. We could theoretically, like he already did, get to a Super Bowl with him if he doesn't mess it up. But then he has these games where he's just terrible, where he makes mistakes, where he kind of throws the game away. And this was one of them. The Niners were in thorough control of that game. There's no reason the Niners should not have won that game. The Titans, who do have a lot of injuries, who have been struggling as of late, who got A.J. Brown back this game, were asking the Niners to put them away. The Titans were asking to end the game early. Let's go to next week. This was a short week. We're not really ready to come compete. Put this game away. Put us out of this mystery. Score another touchdown. Put this game away. We're ready to call it. You know, they were just asking to be put away. I know Titans fans don't want to hear this, or maybe that's not how you interpreted this, but the, the Tennessee Titans showed nothing in the first half, and the Niners let them let them come back. That's, that's the only way I could put it. I don't think Tannehill, I mean, he did play better in the second half, but... It was mostly because Garoppolo threw that interception on his own side of the field, gave the Tennessee Titans a short field, and then after that, it, they just grabbed all the momentum. They grabbed all the momentum, and it was hard. It was hard to get it back. And Garoppolo had chances. He had he had a use check running wide open on the right side. He couldn't hit him. He had a fourth down that he led a uke a little bit too far that he couldn't convert. He was just bad. Garoppolo is just. He's not a good quarterback. By no means is he the worst, but he's not a good quarterback. Uh, I would if I would rather have Alex Smith than Garoppolo. I think Garoppolo um, probably has a higher ceiling than Alex Smith, but his floor is much much lower than him, and his ceiling's not like that much higher. It's like a little bit higher than Alex Smith. He could probably you know he probably has a better arm than Alex Smith, but Alex Smith is like Mister Consistent. Once he turned it around, once he became you know the the prototypical game manager he was as even keel as it comes 
Garoppolo will have you pull your hair out. I know there's been a lot of Niner fans that defend Garoppolo. There's a lot of Niner fans that hate him, but if you needed any more proof, there it was versus the Titans. The Titans literally could not get anything going in the first half. That offense looked anemic. It looked terrible. It looked like they, like they hadn't practiced the whole week. It looked it looked like they didn't even know each other. It was bad. Uh, as a fantasy owner of AJ Brown, I was thoroughly watching that game. First game back in the first half, he ended he ended up with like a lot of targets, decent amount of receptions, but the yards weren't there. It was like five receptions for like twenty something yards or eighteen yards. It was something like pretty bad. He had decent amount of catches, but he had like no yards, and it, it just looked like okay. Yeah, Tannehill doesn't have it. Tannehill, who has been struggling, who hasn't been playing that great, who people were questioning, okay, the Titans definitely overpaid him. That He's not the guy. Like, you, you lose Henry, you lose your wide receivers. Obviously, a hard situation, but you expect Tannehill, who's getting paid that much, to be able to do better. He's not doing better. All of those thoughts, all of those storylines, all those, you know, narratives that were being talked about before, they were all getting pushed even further in that first half, it was like, okay, Niners got this. Tannehill is not the guy. A.J. Brown continuing his disappointing season. Um, Julio Jones just invisible. It, it just, it literally felt like there's there's no way the Titans turned this around. There was, there was like no hope for the offense. I was watching the game. I was like, man, if anything, I hope A.J. Brown gets like three more receptions and maybe... Maybe gets like 30 more yards. If he ends with like eight or nine receptions for like 50 yards, I'll be happy, man. I'm PPR, 14 points, first game back, took a chance playing him. Um, I'm, I'll be happy. But then Garoppolo throws an interception, throws another one, misses a wide open use check, misses a fourth down. Ah, and you just and you just know that he wasn't going to... He, he did have a, a nice drive to tie it, but... It's frustrating because if if the Niners had if the Niners had a competent quarterback, they could have put that game away. And and the stats the stats lie because there was some other throws where Garoppolo could have definitely thrown another pick, and the defense just couldn't come up with it. And it's just like okay, even when he had no picks, it was like oh he's fifteen, he's twelve for fifteen, no interceptions. But you're like okay, he missed someone and he already almost threw like two interceptions. So these numbers do lie. So Garoppolo's not the guy. I think Trey Lance needs to be put into the lineup sooner rather than later. We know what Garoppolo could do. He could get you to a Super Bowl if you have everything going your way. If you don't have everything going your way, if there's some other weakness in your team, then you better have a upper, uh, one of the top five, top ten quarterbacks in the team that can mask your deficiencies. And Garoppolo's not that guy. Obviously, if you have a terrible quarterback like Daniel Jones or something, Garoppolo is an upgrade, I would say. Um, Daniel Jones could move a little bit better, so he does have more potential. But, man, Garoppolo's not the guy. I mean, I just, I've seen enough. He's not the guy. Um, I'm just excited. As a neutral fan, I must say, but as someone that does live in San Francisco, I will say that I am ready to see Trey Lance. Like, they traded a lot of these picks to see to see what's up with Trey Lance. They need to see what's up with Trey Lance. And they're not going to win the Super Bowl, but we'll see how we'll see what happens, especially with COVID going crazy and a lot of teams missing players. They might stay with Garoppolo just because they think he's, like, 
more consistent. He has more experience. He's gone to a Super Bowl before. But for my money, I think the Trey area, the Trey Lance era should start. So we'll see how it goes. But I'm just tired of seeing Garoppolo stink it up on national football, on national TV. But what do you guys think? Is Should should they stick with him? Should they move on from him? You know they're going to move on from him eventually because they did draft Trey Lance. But should Garoppolo stay the starter till the end of the season going into the playoffs? Or have you guys had enough? The Ravens with the backup quarterback went for a two-point conversion late against the Packers to try to go for the win. John Harbaugh, who's known for going for it, at the end of games, instead of going for the tie, instead of forcing overtime, he likes to go for the win. Brandon Staley on Thursday night went for it on fourth down five times against the Chiefs. He only completed two. John Harbaugh didn't convert that two-point conversion. It's one of the topics that a lot of NFL circles have been talking about. Analytics and sports. Should teams be going for it more often on fourth down? Should they be going for two instead of kicking the field goal? There's a lot of things going on in the NFL as of late that are heavily influenced by analytics. And, you know, we got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. Um, what do you guys think? Like, is this is this the right thing? Is this something that should be influencing coaches' decisions? Should coaches be looking at the analytics? Should they just go with their gut feeling? Should should they know their players and be like, okay, this, this, the analytics say to go for it, but my quarterback's not doing that well. What should they do? I think, for the most part, I think I would go with analytics. I'm a numbers guy. I love numbers. I have a math minor. I've, I've always loved numbers. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a junkie, too. I like going on these websites and checking, you know, completion percentage, um, yards per attempt, all that stuff, average distance of a throw. I think all of that does tell us a lot of information. So if there's a system out there, if there's people that are working behind the doors behind closed doors, crunching all the numbers, spitting out these results from all these formulas, and they tell you to go for it on fourth down, to not go for it, to take a two point conversion, you know, all of that stuff. I think you got to look at the numbers. I know there's a lot of people that have been playing football their whole life. They've played in the NFL, they've played college, they've been an analyst, they've been a commentator, they've been on these talking shows. A lot of them sometimes scoff at the numbers. It is a new thing. You know, if you watch Moneyball, that's one of the main topics of the movie, just analyzing the numbers and building a team from, you know, players that get overlooked because not everyone looks at the analytics. I'm pretty sure everyone's watched Moneyball, and if you haven't, it's a great movie. It's on Netflix. Make sure to watch it. So it's almost along the same lines. Like, you got to look at the numbers because if you don't look at the numbers, you can miss some stuff that's not just visible to the naked eye. You know, you crunch the numbers, you, you do all these analyses, you do all these formulas, and these formulas give, give you a different, like a, a more complete storyline, more complete understanding of the game. And obviously, you use the numbers, you use what those analyses and those datas are giving you, and you combine it with your football knowledge, and then you're able to form a better decision. But it's not that hard to understand that if you go for it on fourth down and you do all this stuff that, you know, 60% is better than 40%. And when it comes down to that, does your intellect, does your knowledge make up that 10%? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does just because you've been a head coach for that long. You got a gut feeling, you know, the flow of the game, all that stuff. Um, a lot of people say it can't be quantified in numbers, but I'm pretty sure there is. 
analytics that could quantify all that stuff. You just got to change the formula a little, a little bit. Like, oh, if, if if they've converted on more first downs or or something, there's there's always a way to tweak the formula to adjust. Obviously, there is some factor that the coach has to take it like a personal decision. Like if you're Brandon Staley, if you're John Harbaugh, obviously you need to, you know, not just look at the numbers. Anyone can look at the numbers. Once you once you crunch the numbers, anyone can read the numbers. Anyone can see that, okay, 55 is better than 45. But obviously you got to take into effect other stuff. And I think, especially in the John Harbaugh situation, it's pretty easy to see what he was doing. Like you have your MVP quarterback out for the game. You have your rookie, or not rookie, but second year undrafted quarterback playing great by the way but you know he's still an undrafted second year player who's playing great but you can't really bank on that as much as you know you would like to and also you got the MVP you got the reigning MVP you got the favorite MVP on the other side and over time it's not guaranteed that you're gonna get the ball back as Brandon Staley knows the Chargers did not get the football back against the Chiefs so you're not even guaranteed a shot on offense in overtime. Your defense is beat up. You could potentially end the game here. Just give your you put your defense in a better situation. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers is going to have like 40 seconds, but you'd rather give Aaron Rodgers 40 seconds to get a field goal than give him the whole overtime, lose a coin flip and give him, you know, two timeouts or uh, the whole length of the field to go on like with unlimited time, 15 minutes, fresh clock. I think they took a chance. It didn't work out. There was a there was a soundbite afterwards, a little video that showed John Harbaugh talking to his quarterback, tra- talking to Andrews, talking to everyone, basically saying, or like, if once we score, like, do we want to go for two? And everyone was all hyped up. Everybody was very, very into the game plan. They understood what they were doing. Everybody was for going for it. On two-point conversion. So I think it was the right call for John Harbaugh. And for Brandon Staley, you know, he's the one that's really probably taking the most heat out of anyone. And, I mean, he's the one that's gone for it on fourth down the most. And this time it didn't work out for the Chargers. They were so close. It didn't work out. But it worked out for them the first time they played against the Chiefs. So I don't think you can pick and choose and be like, okay, you know what? He shouldn't have gone for it on fourth down. He shouldn't have done this. Because the same things, for all the negative things that were being said against uh, about Brandon Staley this week, the same thing, the same positive things were being said when they beat the Chiefs. They were like, man, he has the biggest cojones in the league. Like, this guy, he has freaking tough skin, the thickest skin in the game. What a coach. Like, everybody was praising him. Rookie head coach doing this. Like, this guy got some balls on him. Like, He's 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 legit, man. This guy is the shit. So you can't just flip flop. You can't just praise him. And obviously, you can. Everyone's gonna do it anyways. But I feel I feel like you're being a little hypocritical if you praise the man when it goes good, and then you criticize him when it goes bad. It's like okay, like we all know it's either gonna go good and you're gonna praise him, or it's gonna go bad and you're gonna you know vilify the man. But overall, I think Brandon Staley is really building something with the Chargers. I think the numbers, you got to make the numbers. You got to read the numbers. You got to understand the numbers. And I think Brandon Staley does. He's one of the bright young minds in the NFL. There was a reason the Chargers grabbed him. Um, There's a reason they signed him. 39 years old, very young for a head coach. But he looks like he knows what he's doing. He he looks, I, I like how Brandon Staley looks. When I see the Chargers games on TV, 
He's always pacing on the field. He always looks very, very focused. Obviously, you're the head coach. You should look focused. But there's just, I don't know if you guys could tell, but there's this look that Brandon Staley's just super invested, concentrated on the game. Sometimes coaches look a little nonchalant, a little like, okay, like, you know, I'm playing it cool. Brandon Staley looks like he's he's living every second of the game. And, I, you know, I appreciate that for Brandon Staley. I like how he he's made the Chargers this aggressive team. And when you have Justin Herbert... I don't know if I would still consider Mahomes a young quarterback. He's like on his fourth or fifth year. Um, so I kind of consider him a veteran now. You got the best young quarterback. First to three years, I would consider like a super, like a young, young quarterback. You got the best young quarterback in the NFL in Justin Herbert. Why not go for it? Like, I, I, I like what he did, especially when you consider that, you know, Kelly fumbled after they converted a fourth down, I believe. And then Parham. I hope he's doing well. I hope he's, you know, he recovers. He had a very scary concussion um, where he was untouched. It's just a freak accident. Like, players fall down all the time. And, like, this is like a one in a a thousand time that it happens. Like I said, I just want part of him to be good. I want him to be, you know, recover. All signs point that, you know, he's making a full recovery. He's going to be good. But that that play worked. Like other than the fact that it was a freak injury and the ball popped out of Parham's hands once his head hit the floor and he became concussed and he obviously he lost consciousness. Other than that, like a freak injury happening and Parham landing like super quick, like his momentum really made his body hit the floor like very fast. I'm I'm pretty sure Parham has caught over a thousand balls in his career. Where he, where his body kind of thumps the floor, and his head ricochets, or it almost hits the floor, or it kind of hits the floor, or it hits it a little bit, and he's been fine. Like it's, it's been like he's been able to take that, take that fall. It's either you know he rolls on his shoulder, he takes it on his back, and for some reason, on this particular play, it was just a freak injury, and his head snapped and hit the, it hit the um the grass, and he just got knocked out unconscious. But that play worked. That play. Are we are we talking? Are we still criticizing Brandon Staley if Parham, like he's probably done a million times in his career, catches the ball, goes to the ground, his head probably hits the floor a little bit, but he's fine. Are we still are we still having this conversation if if that play doesn't happen, like if, if Parham is just able to, you know, fall to the ground like he's done a lot of other times? Probably not. We don't know. We can't. It's a butterfly effect. Like everything would have changed. We don't know. We don't know. And there is a chance that he converts these fourth downs and the Chiefs just go berserk and they still lose. It's all a butterfly effect. But what I'm trying to say is that I applaud I applaud Brandon Staley for going for it. And, I mean, he knows what quarterback he has. Obviously, if you have Garoppolo, you don't want to be going for it on fourth down too many times. But if you have Justin Herbert, if you have Eckler, if you have Mike Williams, if you have Keenan Allen... You know, you feel a little better about going for it. And if you're playing against the Chiefs, you got to factor that in. You can't be taking field goals. Obviously, the Chiefs offense hasn't been, the juggernaut has been before. But you're playing the Chiefs, you got to go for it. So I'm all for it. I like what John Harbaugh is doing, too. I like their cojones. For my money, if the numbers back it up, too, even if the numbers didn't back it up, if it was 50-50, I would still say go for it. Like, the momentum, the, the the thrill that your team gets, 
but the numbers do back it up, so it's even like better. Like, good job, Brandon Stanley. Take a chance. Like, if if it, if it was like forty eight fifty fifty two, and you were like, you know what? Like, it's worth that forty eight. Like, we're gonna win the game. We have a higher chance of beating the Chiefs, in my opinion. If like, fuck it, let's do it. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how this plays out. I think. I think we're already seeing a revolution. I think we're already seeing people follow Brandon Staley's um, lead. So I think I think it's just going to ramp up even more. And I'm excited for that. Like, fuck it. If you're on the 35 and you don't have the best kicker, go for it. Like, just go for it. If, if you're in the end zone and, you know, you feel like you could score, if you get one more down, go for it. it, it honestly, fourth downs make the NFL more interesting. So I say go for it. I'm all for it. And... I hope it's here to stay, man. I hope more people go for it on fourth down. I hope more people go for it on two-point conversions. Let's do it. The Colts play the Cardinals today on Christmas Day. Merry Christmas to you guys. And I think the Colts are going to beat the Cardinals. The Cardinals who have lost two straight games to the Rams, to the Lions. They're doing their annual thing where they start off good, they start off decent, and then they crash at the end of the season. Last year, the Cardinals, at some point in the middle or a little bit after the middle of the season, they were first place in the NFC West. It looked like they were going to make the playoffs. Great turnaround for the Cardinals. Good job for Clinksbury. And they crashed and burned at the end of the season. They missed the playoffs. Bad look for the Cardinals. Bad look for Clinksbury. And the season before, too, similar things. It, they were never leading the division, but they finished worse than they started. And now this season, they start 7-0. and They're leading the NFC for almost a whole year. And now they're like third or fourth. In the conference, they've lost two straight. They lose to the Lions. The Lions who came in with 1-1, one win and one tie, beat the Cardinals convincingly and completely take care of them. So it's like, okay, who are these Cardinals? Are they, are they going to choke again? I think they're not going to miss the playoffs, but there's a chance that they do go on a losing streak or they finish the season really bad like they've done before with Kingsbury. It's just like, even when they were winning... A lot of people, a lot of analysts, a lot of people in the sports media were kind of, you know, hesitant to give the Cardinals all their flowers to just claim them as the best team in the NFL or the NFC. And I think, you know, the worry that people had is coming is coming back. Like you got you want to see the Cardinals finish the season strong, be an actual contender in the playoffs, make the playoffs and, you know, be a, a legit dark horse or a legit legit team that can make a Super Bowl run. You just don't feel like that's the thing that could happen. Losing to the Lions really, you know, leaves a bad taste in the mouth for Cardinal fans, for Cardinal believers, for Cardinal defenders. Like, losing to the Lions, if you're a legit team, that that just can't happen, you know? That's just something that can't happen. And the Colts, who are, you know, fighting for their playoff lives, the last few weeks they've been in a wild card spot, so I think they want to keep that going. Um, that with the Titans beating the 49ers is like the Colts have to win out to even have a chance to win the division. But even if they don't win the division, that AUC wildcard race is insane. There's so many teams just waiting for one of these teams in a wildcard position to fuck up. So the Colts have to win this game. And I think, you know, Jonathan Taylor, he's been amazing. He's been putting that team in his bag. He's going to have to put more effort this week. He is without three of his linemen or because of covid so we'll see how Jonathan Taylor is able to go. I think if I think linemen are better at run blocking because you know you're just mauling people, 
Um, pass protection gets a little more complicated if you're if you're with your backup. But if you're just telling people to go mall, like just go attack, I think they'll be fine. So I think that run game, obviously, if you don't have Nelson, the best guard in the NFL, is gonna hurt. But I think Jonathan Taylor is still gonna eat. He's still gonna do his thing. And the Cardinals, man, Kyler Murray since coming back from his injury, he has not looked particular. <clears throat> <clears throat> Kyler Murray, since coming back from his injury, hasn't looked particularly amazing. So we'll see if he's able to turn it up, ramp it up. But I just don't see it, man. They're without their number one wide receiver in Hopkins. So the Colts will extend the Cardinals' losing streak to three games. And the Cardinals will be on the brink of missing the playoffs. Not on the brink, but I think they'll lose the division lead uh, to the Rams. If the Rams win this week, if the, if the Colts beat the Cardinals... Which is crazy to think because just a few weeks ago they were their number one seed in the NFC and now it looks like they're just gonna fall to the wild card. And I'm not too surprised. It's what the Cardinals have done every season since they've had Clingsbury as their head coach. So we'll see we'll see what the talk is this offseason. We're, we're halfway through the season, ten weeks through the season. People had Clingsbury as the coach of the year, as the coach of the year candidate. If the Colts beat the Cardinals there's going to be some rumbling like, okay, what's Clinksbury really doing here? Is is he or is he just not a late season coach? Do they start off hot and finish cold? Is that the teams that Clinksbury has? Why is it this way? Like, why does the team seem to lose focus, seem to always veer off the path towards the end of the season? That's something that's really going to have to, it's going to catch fire. It's going to start, you know, being headlines on the media like what is why are Clingsbury teams not finishing strong so for Cardinal fans if you're a Cardinal believer hopefully they beat the Colts but for my money I think Jonathan Taylor puts the Colts on his back and the Colts beat the Cardinals extend their losing streak to three games <clears throat> Andy Murray defeats Rafael Nadal 6-3-7-5 in a Dawes comeback in Abu Dhabi. It was a very, you know, hyped up match. Two greats. Nadal coming back from his injury. Hasn't played since August. Andy Murray, who had a, you know, he played a lot of matches. Made a nice comeback in 2021. Uh, it's always great to see two greats go at it again. Especially with Nadal coming back from a long injury break. It was great to see both left it all on the court. You know, it's an exhibition match, so I don't think they were all particularly going to their full capacity. And Nadal, obviously, easing his way back from injury. I don't think he was going 100, 100%. Obviously, Nadal, he's known for, you know, going 120 every time. But maybe in this match, or maybe I'm reading it wrong, but I don't think he was, you know, trying to tweak anything or trying to hurt himself again. I think he, you know... Obviously, he tried. He's Nadal. We all know his mentality, but I think he was probably a notch or two below his top, top game. But with that being said, obviously, there was rust. He hasn't played in like six months, four, five, six months. So there is rust. There is some concerns for Nadal to see if he's able to get up to game level for the Australian Open. Um, as a Nadal fan, I do wish, you know, he gets some matches in before australian open and he's able to pick up some wins and you know go with some confidence into the australian open but he did test positive for covid so we got to see how he recovers from that i hope he recovers well you know want to wish nadal the best and murray you know that's it's a good win for him he loses in the final to 
Rublev. But like I said, it's an exhibition tournament. In the end, it's not the end of the world for Murray losing the final, for Nadal losing the semifinal. It was just great to see Nadal back out there, one of the grades. And, you know, there's a lot of people doubting Nadal, they, uh, saying that he's not going to win another Grand Slam, that he's pretty much washed, too many injuries. That body has taken a lot of punishment. There's only so much a body can take and keep going. All those things are true. You know, I, I see where people are coming from. Um, it just looks like there is a lot of injuries. There is a lot of wear and tear on that body, uh, though, especially the way Nadal plays, you know, chasing after every ball, never giving up, never, you know, losing, trying to lose a set, never, you know, moving on to the next set, always trying to make a comeback on this um, set. It, his mentality is amazing. It's part of the reason there's a, a lot of Nadal fans. It's part of the reason why I'm a Nadal fan. It's just that never give up mentality, that never give up on a set mentality. It's amazing. It's great. But I do see where people are coming from when, you know, he's 35 years old. His body's taking a lot of punishment. Can he do it? Can he Can he get back to that level? I think he can, man. He's just one of those greats, man. He's just one of those. He's goaded, man. I, I think he can. I think he can. Um, I think this time off is going to be great for him. Give that foot a lot of time to rest. Give a lot of time to recover. And 2022, man, we've all seen that, you know, anything could happen. We see Medvedev breaking through. So, obviously, that younger generation is knocking on the door. We've seen the rise of Zverev. Tsitsipas is there. You know, there's a lot of younger players, too, coming through. Alcaraz uh, for the U.S., Taylor Fritz. We'll see how he's, if he's able to, you know, rise up sinner. There's a lot of players knocking on the door. But I think... At least for these next couple years, obviously, Djokovic is still in his prime. He won three out of the four Grand Slams. He should still hold him off a little bit. But I don't think I don't think we can count out Nadal. You know, just seeing him on the court. You know, it, I was excited. I was happy. I was just happy to see the man on the court. I don't know about you guys. I was just super happy to see him there. There's a different aura. There's a different level of excitement. Just seeing him. And him playing against Murray, that was great. First time they played in like five years. That was just great tennis. Um, not particularly because of the amazing level that they were playing at, but just seeing two greats go at it. I don't know if anyone shares this sentiment with me, just seeing two greats going at it. It, it just puts a smile on my face. <clears throat> and I hope I hope Nadal is able to at least win one more Grand Slam. I think he has a chance, obviously, at Roland Garros, but... You know, if he's able to win another one at a, you know, Australian Open, Wimbledon or U.S. Open, I think that one will be even more impressive. With that age, with all that wear and tear, if he's able to win one of the other three, because I think Roland Garros, I think I think he's, for my money, he's he's almost a lock to win another one. He just has to be healthy going into Roland Garros and um, he should be able to win another one. If he's able to pull off another one at the other three majors, that would really be impressive, and I think it would really prove a lot of people wrong. There might be some people that don't believe in him, and if he wins Roland Garros, they'll just be like, oh, well, it's Roland Garros. But if he's able to win one of the other ones, it will really just sway his naysayers. But even if he doesn't win one, Nadal is great, and I hope he stays on tour as long as he can. You know, even if he's just making semifinals or quarterfinals, it's always great to see the greats keep playing. But... You know, there is a saying that says, you know, the greats know when it's time to 
hang it up even even more than like the lower the lower people because they're so used to being at the mountaintop that when they're not they just know it's like okay this this is not for me so i just hope nadal is able to stay healthy for 2022 and we get to see him you know obviously go to the grand slams but you know go to some master 1000s even hopefully he probably won't but some lesser 500s or 250s probably never 250 but a 500 would be cool but overall just Happy that Nadal is back. Wish him the best for 2022 and hope he recovers from COVID-19. But that should do it for the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast, episode number 78. Thank you so much if you made it to the end. Have a great rest of your day and Merry Christmas. Have a good day.